Hello, this is Frank Capello from The Lever, an independent investigative news outlet. This mini-episode you're listening to is part of our Inside the Story series, where we highlight some of The Lever's original reporting and speak with the journalists who wrote the story. Today, I am joined by The Lever's Rebecca Burns. Rebecca, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Frank. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure. So... You wrote a new story for The Lever, which just published, about everyone's favorite investment management firm, BlackRock. The story details how BlackRock uses quote-unquote socially conscious language to appeal to its investors while pushing for regressive climate policies behind the scenes. So what exactly is it that BlackRock is saying that is in direct conflict with what they are actually doing? Right. So BlackRock CEO Larry Fink has become well known for being sort of uh, ostensibly the foremost advocate of um, mobilizing the power of finance to respond to climate change. Um, So there's sort of a funny backstory here that um, apparently uh, Fink sort of had a climate awakening um, when traveling with a group of other bankers to go fly fishing in you know, a remote area of Alaska in 2019. And the next year came out with um, what at the time felt like some pr- pretty significant statements uh, that finance needed to start taking the risks of climate change more seriously. Um, so the specific line we he- kept hearing from Fink is that you know climate risk is investment risk. Now, effectively, that regulators, financial regulators, are catching up um, to what, what industry has been saying and actually putting forward um, some concrete rules that would require firms to disclose that risk, BlackRock is fighting those measures. Yeah, this sort of plays into the trend of uh, capitalism claiming that it can solve the problems that it itself has created, which <laughs> which personally I don't have a lot of faith in. Can, can you explain, because this is important, uh, they came out of this trip and they're using this more socially conscious language about ESG investments. Um, can you explain a little bit what ESG investments are and why they might not actually be as progressive as they sound? Right. So this is important. Um, ESG is a buzzword that effectively means nothing. Um, Sure. (laughs) I'm exaggerating slightly, um, but ESG has really become sort of a catch-all term for whatever its marketers want it to mean. So after Fink made this sort of climate pivot, um, BlackRock also began uh, marketing a lot of ESG-specific funds. So that's environmental, social, and governance factors with the idea that they were taking uh, these into considerations when they decided what the funds would invest in. Um, But let me give you a concrete example. So there was a fund that launched a few years ago called the BlackRock U.S. Carbon Transition Readiness Fund. Drew really wide uh, investor interest, broke funding records on its first day with $1.25 billion invested. Advocates uh, over at Fossil Free Funds um, looked into what were the holdings that are actually in this fund and found that it included holdings from Chevron, ExxonMobil, ConocoPhillips, and a bunch of other um, fossil fuel producers. So effectively, you know, even as we've heard ESG is a buzzword more and more. Um, 
there's still very few requirements on the books that ESG mean anything at all, really. Gotcha. And now that firms like BlackRock are pushing ESG investments and messaging surrounding those investments, it's uh, sort of opened them up to harsh criticism from Republicans. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So this has been a really bizarre development in the last year or so, um, where we have um, segments of the right talking about something called woke capitalism. Um, I don't know. Do you do you consider capitalism to be woke, Frank? No. <laughs> No, uh, not not in any regard whatsoever. And, you know, this is actually kind of one uh, one topic where I kind of agree with uh, some of this, like some of this right uh, facing criticism. And I should clarify, I don't agree with, uh, you know, Republicans criticism of the wokeness of it. I more so agree with their criticism of the capitalism part of it, which I which I do find to be very disingenuous. Yeah. So I, you're right. There's sort of um, an element here where you know, critics are calling out what's certainly some hypocrisy, but effectively BlackRock has become kind of the prime target of um, particularly GOP politicians at the state and federal level who are saying, um, you know, this group that manages our money is putting this radical, uh, radical social agenda ahead of actually um, getting the best returns possible for our clients. Now, there are a lot of problems with that line, um, the foremost being that, again, uh, there's little evidence um, that the ESG funds and criteria um, that BlackRock and other firms are um, are using are like actually leading to the kind of decarbonization we need to see. So your story really hones in on this uh, this SEC rule. Can you go in a little bit of detail about this uh, proposed climate disclosure rule and uh, why business lobbying groups are specifically targeting these scope three disclosures? Definitely. Um, so this goes to something that in some ways is, you know, highly technical, but pretty consequential. So this is a new SEC rule, Securities and Exchange Commission rule, um, that would require companies, um, among other things, to disclose their carbon emissions. Um, now, if that's happening, theoretically, hopefully that's going to make it a lot harder for um, companies to you know, sort of hypocritically use um, ESG, ESG labels, ESG disclosures, um, because there's going to be clearer and more standardized information about what it is that they are actually doing, um, you know, how much uh, their specific business models are contributing to climate change and what they are doing to mitigate the risks of that. And how do firms like BlackRock come into play uh, in trying to water down this specific disclosure rule? So, you know, another thing that BlackRock has been really, um, really active in uh, is sort of coming up with this whole regulatory regime ahead of like actual government regulators having anything on the books. Um, Larry Fink said in an interview uh Two years ago, you know, that he believes that capitalists should self-regulate and he's encouraging uh, he's encouraging companies to, to make their own climate disclosures um, before they're forced to by regulators. So broadly here, what I think we're seeing is a situation where industry tried to write its own rules that are not very good or helpful rules. And then when you see regulators actually coming in and saying like, no, these these should be the mandatory rules. Um, we're getting a lot of pushback from groups like BlackRock. Um, so let me tell you about sort of the specific area where a lot of pushback is happening um, is something around what's known as a scope three disclosure. 
Again, very technical term. What that actually means um, is carbon emissions um, that have to, to do with the products a company sells or is financing. So a concrete example there would be if you're ExxonMobil, you can say that you know, the offices your employees sit in, um, the way that they travel around, you know, when they need to go to conference is net carbon neutral. But that doesn't mean much if you're not uh, talking about the scope three disclosures, which is like actually all of the oil um, that you are producing and that people are then burning. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so, so again, this is sort of this like technical distinction that's developed, but that sort of just elides the fact that you need that type of disclosure for uh, for this rule to have meaning. So on the one hand, BlackRock is touting this very socially conscious, progressive, environmental uh, language and investments. But on the other hand, they are fighting behind the scenes to actually defang the regulations that would actually make some sort of meaningful uh, difference in combating the climate crisis. Is that pretty much it? Exactly. And while sort of continuing, I think, for the firm to position itself as like, you know, the uh, the arbiter of of these rules that are going to to bring us into uh, the clean energy transition. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me here and really, really great work on this story. I have to imagine this was a lot of documents that you had to sift through. Yes. A lot of time in the SEC rulemaking docket. Sounds like a perfect Friday night for me, honestly. Great time. <laughs> That's it for this mini episode. Listeners can find the link to Rebecca's full story in the show notes of this episode in your podcast player. If you enjoyed the story and would like to support the Lever's original reporting, you can go to levernews.com and subscribe to our free newsletter. You can also share this podcast episode with your friends and family. And if you really want to support our work, you can go to levernews.com slash subscribe to become a paid supporter. This gives you access to all of the Lever's premium editorial and podcast content, and you'll be directly supporting independent journalism. And that's all for the low price of just eight bucks a month, which is half the price of a standard Netflix account. Thanks so much for listening and keep rocking the boat. 